Heavenly Father, speak to us now, we pray, from your word and through your spirit. Use even me, I pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. Keep me from error and keep me from pride. Help me to speak only your truth today. Help us through what we hear to love you even more. May we glorify you for you are worthy to receive all glory, honor and praise from what we hear from your word today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A little over 12 months ago now, the then Australian cricket captain, Steve Smith, came up with a plan to defeat South Africa in the upcoming test match. So he knew South Africa had a very strong batting lineup, and in order to trouble them, he'd have to get the ball to swing. Now, for any of you who don't follow cricket and don't know what swing is, it's when one half of the ball remains smooth and shiny, but the other half is rough. And therefore, the bowler can deliver it in such a way that aerodynamics will make the ball go from left to right as it travels through the air, which troubles the batsman, makes them more likely to give up their wicket. Now, that's a good plan, but that plan does have one small flaw. And that is, whenever you start a test match, the ball is smooth and shiny on both sides, and it takes considerable time to get the ball into the state where it's able to be swung. So Steve Smith devised a plan to come up to defeat that particular flaw. He got one of his players to bring a small amount of sandpaper onto the pitch so whenever the ball was thrown to him, he could apply that sandpaper and rough the ball up much quicker. Or, in layman's terms, he cheated. And, sadly for Steve Smith, he got caught. And the condemnation that followed was swift and brutal. Firstly, the match officials found him guilty of tampering, ball, tampering with the ball and so fined him his full match payments as a result. And the press, well, the press had a field day. Across all forms of media, they condemned his actions in a story that ran for weeks. The Australian public, too, got in on the act, saying that they've lost faith in cricket and the Australian cricket itself, even saying that the act that was done by Steve Smith was completely un-Australian. Even past captains got in on the act. Steve Wars said that Steve Smith had lacked all respect for Australian cricket. And his final condemnation came at the hands of the Australian Cricket Board, who stripped him of his captaincy and banned him from the sport from which he derives his living for 12 months. Now, if you were listening to our Bible reading this morning, if you were listening carefully, you will have heard the word condemn or condemnation more than once. And we are going to be looking at one particular verse that deals with condemnation this morning. We're going to be dealing with Romans 8, verse 1. If you have your Bible still open at page 1118, Romans 8, 1 tells us this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So in order for us to unpack this verse and to see what it means for us this morning, we need to start with some definitions. The first one being condemnation itself. What is the definition of condemnation? Well, dictionary.com tells us there's two definitions for condemnation. The first one being the expression of a very strong disapproval or censure. So in Steve Smith's case, we saw this from the press, we saw it from the Australian public, 
and from past captains who each came out condemning his actions for his role in that particular test match. The second definition is the action of condemning someone to a punishment or to sentence. And when we say sentence here, we mean the legal term to sentence, not the English grammar construct. And again, we see this with Steve Smith. The match officials condemned him and fined him his match payments. And the Australian Cricket Board also condemned him, removing him from the captaincy and banning him from the sport. It is this definition which is taken up here by Paul in Romans 8 verse 1. So it is possible for us then to read this verse this way. Therefore, there is now no punishment for those who are in Christ Jesus, or therefore there is now no sentence for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if that's the definition of condemnation, what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? Well, for that, we're going to turn to the the Bible reading that was read to us earlier by Di, to perhaps the most famous Bible verse in all of Scripture. We're going to look at John 3 and verse 16. If you'd like to turn there in in your Black Church Bibles, you can find us on page 1052. Page 1052, we're going to read verse 16 and following. We read this. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, and there's that word again, condemn, but to save the world through him. So this is what it means to be in Christ Jesus. It means to believe in him. And that's all fine and good, but what, is, what, what is it we actually believe Well, from these verses here, the first thing we believe is that he is God's one and only son. See, Jesus is not just a good man or a teacher or a prophet. He is much more than that. He is God's son. He is God's only son. And as such, he is in very nature God. He is the exact representation of his being. That is, he is perfect and without fault. We also believe that he was sent into the world that we might be saved through him. See, Jesus coming to us as a man was not on a whim or a flight of fancy. He did not come for a holiday. He was sent for a specific purpose. He was sent that we might be saved through him. And he accomplished this by dying on Calvary's cross. He did this because he paid the punishment all those who believe in him. How? Well, he was perfect and without fault, so he was able to pay. We also believe that we have eternal life in him. We know that we have eternal life because he was not left in the grave. He was not condemned to death, but he raised to life on the third day, proving that he was able to pay the punishment for our sins. And finally, we believe that God gave his son. So eternal life that is given is not something that can be earned. It cannot be worked for or merited. God gave his son as a gift that through simple belief and faith in him, we might have eternal life. So this is what it means to believe in him. This is what it means to be in Christ Jesus. And so this morning, I have to ask you the question, 
Are you in Christ Jesus? See, Paul tells us that there is, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see the conditional there? It's not there is now no condemnation full stop. There is now no condemnation period. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Which means we can infer that that condemnation still remains for those who are not in Christ Jesus. Are you in Christ Jesus? Now you might argue, Danny, that's a presumption on on your part. You're making an inference which is not explicit in the text. And you'd be right. So if you look again at John chapter 3, if you've still got your Bibles open there, in the very next verse from the ones we've been dealing with, we read this. Jesus says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Now again, you might argue, why? Why do I stand condemned? I'm a good person. I work hard. I pay my taxes. I'm not involved in any criminal activity. I don't do anything illegal. In fact, I'm certainly no worse than you, Danny. So why should I stand condemned? Read carefully what it says in John 3 and verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. You are quite right in saying that you are certainly no worse than me. But we share much more in common than you might think. Neither of us are perfect. In fact, none of us are. There is no person that is perfect apart from Jesus himself. This is a problem. This is a serious condition as serious as it is dire. You see, because we do not believe, it means, because I beg your pardon, because we are not perfect, it means that at some stage, each one of us has trespassed against God's law. And in so doing, that puts us all in for condemnation. The Bible tells us that we are, by very nature, objects of God's wrath, fuel for the fire and destined for destruction. And God is a just God. God will not let things slip. He will bring condemnation against you for what you have done. And this condemnation is not the condemnation that we saw with Steve Smith, who got stripped of the captaincy and lost his his ability to play cricket for 12 months. Now, this is condemnation from God himself. There is, quite literally, hell to pay. And we can't fix this. We can't suddenly become perfect. None of us are perfect. And so we face him having transgressed his law. So serious is our condition and so helpless are we to change it that God sends his son. He sends his son to die the death that we deserve should we believe in him. And to spurn that gift sees you condemned already. Friends, Hebrews 10.31 tells us, it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Are you in Christ Jesus? 
If the answer is no, or if you're unsure, please don't ignore this warning from John 3 and verse 18. If you'd like, come and talk to me after the service today. I'd love to talk to you more about Jesus Christ. If you don't want to talk to me, find someone else here in church to talk to. You're in the perfect position here today to take up the conversation about Jesus Christ, to consider what he has done. Only please, don't put it off. Don't leave here today thinking it doesn't matter and I don't need to worry. Heed the words and have that conversation today. For those of you who are in Christ Jesus, however, there is now no condemnation. Have you considered that? There is now no condemnation. Now, I'm sure you've heard it before, and I'm sure you know what it means, but have you considered how that might play out for you? Have you meditated upon it and appreciated what it means that there is no condemnation? I actually want to take the time this morning to do just that. And I want you to consider your own passing. I want you to consider your own death and what happens after then. So you will be brought into the presence of God. You'll be brought into his throne room where he is seated upon his throne and he is dressed in power and glory and majesty and splendor. And his court is in session. You have been summoned to the witness stand to answer one simple question. Why shall I let you into my heaven? Well, you come in confidence and boldly claim it's because of Christ. The reason why I should go into heaven is not because of anything I've done, but because Christ has done it for me. He paid the price that I deserve that I might have eternal life in him. And that's a good answer. But you're not alone in this courtroom. The accuser is here too. And upon hearing you claim Christ, he springs into action. Objection, Your Honour, he says. This person claims to be a Christian. But I know what you're really like. I remember that time you got so angry. So angry you were shaking with rage. Your face was red, your fists were clenched, and you lashed out and you hurt that other person, and you lashed out and you broke those things. And the words that came from your mouth, a string of invectives so bad, I wouldn't dare repeat them in this court. And yet, you call yourself a Christian. And then there are the times the many times that you spent looking in the mirror, that you spent prodding and preening and combing, all the product that you put on your face, all the time that was spent to make yourself look good, and the amount you spent on clothes. You had an outfit, outfit for every occasion, and the shoes to match, and the accessories, the bags, the jewellery, the watches. Now, you claim to love Jesus, but you certainly spent a lot of time loving yourself. Then there was that time when you thought no one was looking. You thought no one could see what you were doing. 
And you looked at those things you know you shouldn't have. You looked at those images and those lewd videos. And you reveled in them. If that isn't bad enough, the thoughts that followed were worse than anything that you saw. And yet, you claim to be in Christ Jesus. Then there's the times when you ate too much or you drank too much. You simply could not get enough. Always room for one more. In fact, you did, you ate and you drank so much that you made yourself physically sick. Is this the kind of actions you expect from someone who is full of the Holy Spirit rather than full of food or full of alcohol? And I know that thing. I know that thing you did. You know the one I'm referring to? That thing you've never spoken to about anybody. The thing you could never tell. That thing you did that hurt those you love so much, so badly. That thing which is the first thing that comes to mind when we mention sin. The guilt burns, doesn't it? And yet you have the audacity, you have the gall to call yourself a Christian. Now we know that the accuser is a liar and the father of lies. But what has you squirming in the witness stand that you know he's not lying? And sadly from here, it gets worse. The accuser continues. Your Honour, open the records of his life and look through the records there and see just how many sins, how many trespasses, how many misdemeanors have been happening in their life from first breath to last. I only bring up a few examples here. The way I to go through everyone in your records, we would quite literally be here for a lifetime. This doesn't sound like someone who claims to be your son. Someone who claims to be your daughter, who claims to be a follower of Christ Jesus. In fact, if it pleases you, I judge, open the record of their life and locate that time when they first claimed to be a Christian, when they first claimed to be in Christ Jesus, and then see how many sins happened after that time. This the actions of someone who claims to be in Christ Jesus? So, in light of this evidence, I ask only one thing. I ask for that thing which you love. I ask for justice. I ask that the full amount be paid by the defendant, that nothing be left to chance, nothing be passed over, that they pay the full price for every sin that has been committed. Because this is just and condemnation is deserved. Where was the confidence you had when you first took the stand? It's all but gone. And as your head drops from guilt and from shame, you realize for the first time what it is that you're wearing. So you came to court dressed in the very finest of your best works and your clothes are filthy, tattered, stained and marked. 
But they don't just look bad. They're an assault on all of your senses. The very touch of them makes your skin crawl. If, in fact, that's what's crawling. Because you're sure you heard something moving around within the folds. And the stench, the stink is so bad that you involuntarily open your mouth to escape the smell in your nostrils. This only serves to put the taste of them on your tongue. A taste so horrid, it takes all of your self-control not to double over, dry retching. Then the one who sits upon the throne speaks. He pronounces his judgment. And he says, yes, everything has been recorded. Nothing has been missed. Every sin, everyone from first breath to last, even the ones the defendant is not aware of, they're recorded in the records here. And yes, the full extent of the law will be brought to pass. Nothing will be swept under the carpet. Nothing will be ignored. The full payment will be done. Yes, I love justice and I will see it done today. But against every trespass that's written, there are three words written in blood. They're the same three words over and over and over again. And they're not written with just any blood. They're written in the blood of my son. And those three words say this. Paid in full. Paid in full. Every trespass, every misdemeanor has been paid in full. There is no punishment left to give. There is nothing outstanding. And therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Do you see? There's now no condemnation. Not because we don't deserve it. We deserve it in spades. And there's now no condemnation, not because God turned a blind eye or found a legal loophole. There's no condemnation because Jesus paid all of it. Everything. Every white lie. Every slip of the tongue. Every errant thought. Everyone was paid in Christ. Do you see, brothers and sisters, loved by God? Jesus knows you. He knows what you've done. He knows what you're like. He knows your faults, your shortcomings. He knew them before the creation of the world. He knew them in the Garden of Gethsemane, where in anguish he asked that the cup be passed, and yet he willingly went to the cross for you, you who believe in him. And amazing that Jesus would do that, that he would give up his glory, that he would empty himself, that he would come in appearance as a man and die a horrid death, not for anything he had done wrong, but to pay the price for you, that he should love the completely unlovable. This is what we have in Christ Jesus. This is what he has done for us. 
Considering what it cost him, how then ought we to live? What is our response in regards to this? Well, Paul gives us a quick insight into that. In Romans 7.15, Paul says, I do not understand what I do. What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Like Paul, we should hate our sin. We can never be comfortable in it. We can never say, Jesus paid for it, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I do. I'm not perfect, and he knows that. That's okay. No, that's not our, not, not our response to what Jesus has done. We can never be flippant, rebel in our sin. James tells us we ought to grieve, mourn, and wail. We're to change our laughter to mourning and our joy to gloom when we consider our sin. Grieve, mourn, and wail. But we should never be driven to despair because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. How do you feel when you struggle with your sin? I know personally when I struggle with sin and I fall into temptation, it becomes that much more difficult for me to come in prayer and that much more difficult to read God's word. Sin really is the great separator between us and God. But we should not have that attitude. We should come quickly to Christ when we sin. Why? Well, to paraphrase Spurgeon, despite our great sin, we have an even greater Saviour. One who is more ready to forgive than we are ready to offend. Jesus knows us. Jesus knows our many faults. And what he longs for is for us to come to him in confession and to receive the forgiveness that comes through belief in his name. Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in praise and worship. We come to you in awe of the love that you have shown towards us, that you did not spare your only Son, but that you gave him up for us. That we who are by very nature objects of your wrath and enemies of the cross of Christ, we who are completely unlovable might be loved by Jesus, he who willingly he gave himself for us. So that as a result, we have assuredly eternal life through belief in him. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for giving us what we could not do. We pray, Heavenly Father, we might love you all the more for what you have done for us, considering how you suffered to cover all our sin. We praise you and worship you today. Amen.